Welcome to Never Again Is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. I'm Phyllis Zimbler-Miller, co-founder of the free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, ThinEdgeOfTheWedge.com. I grew up in a small town in the Midwest in the US where my grandparents had come to the United States at the turn of their last century from Latvia and Russia. But 1970, only 25 years after the end of World War II, my US Army officer husband and I found ourselves stationed in Munich, Germany something that had an impact on the rest of our lives. This podcast is in partnership with Evelyn Marcus, a Dutch Jew and the daughter of Holocaust survivors. She is featured in the documentary, Never Again Is Now, a psychologist. She immigrated to the US in 2006 because of the rising anti-Semitism in Europe. Our guest for today is Rich Bronstein, Coming in from Israel, he is a lecturer on Holocaust film at Yad Vashem's International School for Education and the author of the new book, Holocaust Cinema, Cinema Complete, a history and analysis of 400 films with a teaching guide. He will speak about the book, the book at the end of the program, and I will tell you how it's meant to be read from cover to cover and not just as a reference book. But now we're going to talk about movies. But first, First, a note from our sponsor, no, I'm just teasing. Rich, Rich's book is about feature films, which he calls narrative films. And the book does not include documentary films about the Holocaust, just so we're all on the same page. Okay, Rich, are you the son or grandson of Holocaust survivors? Or did you grow up in the US the way I did in a community where our grandparents came to get away from the czar? Uh, half of my family, well, my, my grandmother, uh, my father's mother came from the Ukraine, from Dnepi Petrovsk. Uh, and uh, yeah, she, she was not fond of the czar and she told all kinds of stories about escaping through Latvia and through uh, uh, on her way to where she eventually settled in Portland, Oregon, where I grew up. Uh, my grandfather's family came from Romania and I don't know a lot about that. On my mother's side, uh, my uh, my great grandfather was the son of a rabbi from Strasbourg, and uh, he settled in the Black Hills of, of Dakota, uh, and he was uh, in Deadwood, and he was one of the Jewish pioneers of Deadwood. And there's a TV show called Deadwood, and his business partner Saul Starr uh, was was a regular character on there, and they're still buildings to this day in Deadwood with my great-grandfather's name, Ben Bear, on it. And I have Ben Bear's clock from his bank. Uh, so, uh, we, yeah, I, I, some, so some of it was, but no, I have no family from the Holocaust. And I think it's an interesting question because most people ask me uh, if my interest in the Holocaust is, is a personal interest. Uh, and it really isn't. Uh, it, it, it presupposes almost that you need a personal interest to study the Holocaust or to study anti-Semitism. I don't think you do. I think it's just a regular subject for everybody. Uh, so no, I don't have survivors in my, um, we, we, have, we, we escaped long okay. before. And, but I agree with you that it should be a subject for everyone. But now that we've talked about that you, how you came to, uh, that you didn't come to from a personal aspect, but from a, let's say a universal aspect, 
Can you share your journey from watching your first Holocaust films, if you can even remember when that was, to seeing over 400 such films? Sure. Um, the first Holocaust film I saw was really the first Holocaust film that was ever shown uh, on American television, which was um, the miniseries QB7, uh, the first miniseries ever. It was based on Leon Uris' novel, QB7, uh, and, a, and a much younger Anthony Hopkins played uh, a Nazi in it. Uh, and um, it was fascinating. It also started uh, a, a bit of an, a, 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 an affair that I had in my mind. Uh, I loved the Leon Uris books, Exodus and Mila 18. Uh, and then he came to Portland once and spoke. And he was really rude to a, a, a college girl who asked him a question. And I, I thought, you know what, you can be a really great writer and still be a jerk. And I really wanted never to lose that memory of, of how important it was not to be a jerk when people asked you questions, even if they were questions that anybody could have known the answer to. So, uh, but it was really that. And then- Wait, can I ask you, I don't- Remember that? Was it before the series Holocaust? Do oh yeah, yeah. It was. It was seventy four. So Ho Holocaust the miniseries was seventy eight, and this was seventy four. Okay, that's. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, uh, and uh, it was. Ben, it starred Ben Gazzara, mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, and it was about uh, Ben Gazzara was a, a, a an American vet who. Um, suspected that Anthony Hopkins, who had been a doctor, uh, was actually had done experiments on Jews and sued him in, he, no, he was sued. Anthony Hopkins was sued for libel. No, Anthony Hopkins, the Nazi, sued Ben Gazzara for libel. Libel, that would make For sense. having called him a Nazi. And, um, and so they had the first, uh, there, there was a, they, they created a concentration camp that they went to visit that was a facsimile of Auschwitz. It was called Jadwiga uh, and go to Poland during the, during um, the, the cold war to, it was, it was really fascinating. And then when I was 16, I actually f read the book, uh, QB7. And uh, I do remember being younger than that. And there was a Holocaust, exhibit that came through Portland. I, 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 it was before third grade. And I remember going to that. It had to be before third grade because it, the, 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 Jew, the current Jewish community center was, I, I, I was in third grade when we moved into it. And this was at the older one in Portland. So the Holocaust was in my life. And then uh, when I was um, in college, I, uh, I taught at a, at a Sunday school in Portland. I taught Holocaust studies there. And I also, there was a, a brand new organization in Portland called the Oregon Holocaust Resource Center, which was, um, now it's part of the, Jew, the Oregon Jewish Museum. But then it was, a, it, it was the precursor to all of that. And they asked me to be on the board of directors uh, when I was like 23. Uh, and certainly I was the youngest person, I mean, by, by a generation. But the people who were there, um, uh, one of them was a fan was a family friend and the, the one of the founders of it and uh, so 
I, I remember uh, I remember being part of the group that organized uh, a, a huge event for the showing of Shoah, a two-day event in Portland. Uh, I think I was in '85, so it was. Uh, I've been involved. Uh, but then when you start really watching a lot, a lot of movies. Okay, so. That's uh, so okay, so uh, after I moved, to, I had a company in Los Angeles. Uh, I sold the at the end of Nightline. If you wanted a transcript, you know they say for a transcript for this show. That was my company. Wow! And at the end of Oprah and at the end of NPR, it was called the Transcription Company of Burbank. Uh, and I built it from um, from a one bedroom apartment till I had a hundred employees in 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 a, in a building, and and uh, we did the transcripts for every TV show and and studio, and and then I sold it in two thousand three and made Aliyah, and I had a a cousin who came, uh, who was on the Young Judea Year course, and she uh, came for a meal, and I asked her what classes she was taking. She said she was taking a Jewish film class, and I asked her what the film was, and she said. Private Benjamin. And I said, that's not a Jewish movie. There's a Jewish character in it, but that's not a Jewish movie. So I- Holding I on, if anyone wants to know, go ahead. I happen to have known, just by coincidence, the new education director at that program. And I told him, I'll teach a course about Holocaust films for free. And so he said, okay. So then I started to figure this whole thing out and created the categories and, uh, and, and started to watch the films and, and um, taught there for almost a decade. And while I was teaching there, um, I, my, my methods of teaching and the categories that I use for the films came to the attention of the, uh, of the people at the International School of, of Education at Yad Vashem. And so in 2014, I started to lecture there and I've been lecturing there since and then someone asked me if I could just write down all of this and I wrote the book and the book is uh, it's a lot of chapters about a lot of things and um, some of it is is reference but um, it, it's a it's basically a group of essays uh, about things like why I don't recommend Schindler's List why we should care about or not care about Elie Wiesel not liking Holocaust films, how it is that we watch um, uh, The Pianist when it was made by a child rapist, uh, uh, what is the greatest Holocaust film ever made, uh, the, a, a practical history also of Holocaust filmmaking. Uh, so these are, these are all chapters in it. And then there is a, a uh, a chapter which is a third of the book, which is uh, the fifty-two the fifty-two films I recommend as the best Holocaust films, and reviews of every one of them uh, that I write. So let's switch to a moment to documentaries, which is not what your book is about. And as you said in a TV uh, JTA webinar recently, you spoke about turning off the TV if there are going to be shown scenes of the Twin Towers collapsing. And you described your feelings about fiction films based on historical facts as compared to documentaries. Can you share these feelings with the podcast audience? Yeah, so when you're watching a movie, a narrative movie, a recreation, something that even fictional, not fictional, but with actors, where they're recreating something, 
you know in the back of your head the whole time. It's like a mantra. This isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real. Somebody shot. You know that it's not real. You know they're not shooting at somebody. Uh, you 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 know that that they're not breaking, that they're not hitting, that they're not blowing things up, that they're models. But the Twin Towers falling is real, and I don't need to see that. And I've never seen it. I've seen the planes flying, and I don't need to see it. But but I, I give this answer. I talk about this only in relation to the question that people ask, which is, how can you watch so many Holocaust films? When they ask me that question, my answer is, I'm watching an art form. This, I'm, not, I'm not watching people being shot regularly in, like you would in some documentaries, and there are many that, that are that gruesome. I'm watching an art form that depicts uh, uh, these acts. And so I'm judging the art form uh, as an art form, not not viewing people being killed. Okay, someday you and I can disagree about this because I'm not sure I agree with you, but I, you're certainly entitled to, and I mean, I certainly understand your opinion. I watch both Holocaust films and documentaries and I can cry just as easily in one as in the other. Oh, I can cry. Oh no, I'm affected by them both. I'm not suggesting that. I'm certainly affected by them both. But it's the difference between fireworks and artillery. Mm. When I'm watching a documentary and someone's being killed, they're being killed. That's the end of it. When I'm watching uh, uh, Schindler's List and someone's killed, they're not being killed. Right. It's the and, reason. And I can differentiate. I'm, I'm sure you can too. But I do differentiate. Got but it. no, the, and 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 I'll tell you, I cry. I mean, I, but I don't cry when people are killed. I cry when the art form is so elevated that I can't believe something that beautiful has been made. Like, like at the, the there are parts in Harold and Maude, a, a wild comedy that I cry. I've seen that movie thirty times. Shown it to my classes. And there are still parts that choke me up. There are parts in Annie Hall that choke me up. I mean, the, the, and in the movie Diner, the, just there are there are great moments in these in these films that 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 transcend the things that we can do in our that that that, that is what these great filmmakers do. So uh, my tears aren't for sad aren't sadness. My tears are the joy of I've seen somebody who's able to accomplish this and, and put this in front of us. I'll have to think about that a little bit more when I have time. It's a very interesting perspective. On this podcast, our goal is to teach about what anti-Semitism is and encourage people to speak up against it. How can watching Holocaust films help combat anti-Semitism? Well... I'm going to assume that anybody who's watching a Holocaust film understands the price of anti-Semitism. I, I, I think it's um, uh, I, I think it's a little bit like saying, um, how can we learn about tooth decay when we're pulling someone's decayed tooth? 
I mean, they know at that point it's, they understand as it's being pulled that maybe they should have done something differently or that it's a serious issue. So I think by the time you're watching a Holocaust film, you have a pretty good read on what anti-Semitism is. It's, I, I, don't think, I don't think that Holocaust films are gonna be useful for that. There are, there are two films, there, there are some films I think that help us understand the precursors to anti-Semitism. Um, Cabaret, I think, is very good at that. Um, there's especially a moment where uh, there's a song, Tomorrow Belongs to Me. Uh, and again, I do cry when I see that because it is so phenomenally made. Just you can go onto YouTube and type in Tomorrow Belongs to Me from Cabaret. And you see these people in a German town drinking beer and a boy starts to sing this song. And you don't realize until uh, a verse in that he's singing to Hitler and that he's singing to the unity of the Germans in this. Uh, you, and the fullness of their devotion and that Bob Fosse was able to create this in this way is so amazing. Uh, a, a, another film, um, which isn't a Holocaust film, uh, is called American History X. Um, a, a Edward Norton film where he plays a, a, um, a neo-Nazi. Uh, and another one uh, that, that uh, is listed in my book, tangentially it's a Holocaust film, is called The Wave. Um, and it's interesting because one of the people who uh, has come to my lecture, who has been in my seminars twice in Jerusalem, is from Seattle. I was in the actual class, the wave, uh, and uh, we're, we're all we're, we're in touch. Uh, 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 he, uh, but the 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 story of the wave and the class that he was in, the actual class was that uh, they were studying his his class was in the nineteen. 70s. His high school class was studying uh, fascism and the Holocaust. And um, the teacher didn't think that they were quite getting the whole idea of how it was that you could have uh, latched on to this kind of authoritarian um, uh, uh, ideology. And so he created within the classroom environment the same sort of fascism and ideology and all for one. And to the point where these people, these students in his high school class, real high school class, thought that they were actually um, uh, part of a group of, of, uh, of the next level of leadership. It was an, it, it was a, it was an exercise in authoritarianism. Uh, and then at the end of the film, I don't want to ruin it, you see it, but it, 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 it's an amazing lesson that the film is incredibly dated. But when you look at it, you, you feel like you're watching like, Gilligan's <laughs> Island or something. But it, it doesn't matter because the, it does tell the story about how we become. And I think it, it, I don't want to be political, but it, it has lessons that, that can yes. certainly be used today. I actually read the book within the last couple of years because uh, Lisa Weaver's uh, YA novel, The Assignment, which came out 
a, a little over a year ago and is getting all these award, just the awards. We interviewed her on the show. It, it's a fictional story, but it's about something that really happened in upstate New York in 2017 when uh, whole class was told to defend the final solution. So she told me about the wave and I, I read the book. I didn't see the movie, but yes, it's very frightening. And it's frightening. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure that the Holocaust, the, uh, the implication of the Holocaust being a, a way to defend against Holocaust, uh, against anti-Semitism is like, uh, I, I, I suppose it's like saying, if you see people being killed, is it going to scare them into not being racist? Mm. Uh, and, and I don't think that, it, I don't think that's what's going to do it. I think that if they're racist, they're going to say, oh, that's good. They died. Not, oh, that's too bad they died. I think a very small percentage of, of people who are who, who have those tendencies are gonna be scared straight out of those tendencies by seeing uh, the gray zone or, or uh, the pianist or Fateless or Schindler's List or, uh, or, or the counterfeiters or even cabaret. I just don't, I don't see that anybody is gonna, who has those tendencies are gonna, it's going to affect them. And I don't think anybody who doesn't have those tendencies, it's going to, they'd be watching it if they did. But I do think that some movies that show what led up to it can help more than showing what happened. Yeah, that's, that's the point of Cabaret or perhaps Julia, uh, which also showed yes. the, the rise and, and won Academy Awards. Although yes. you know, Julia is a complicated film for us too. Yes. For completely different reason. Because of Vanessa Redgrave. Because of the, yeah, because of the, the but still it's teaching, it's a teachable moment for us. Uh, and Patty Chayefsky, uh, I don't know if you remember that he afterwards, he followed her. So for those of you who don't know, you can uh, go on YouTube and you can Google Vanessa Redgrave, uh, Zionist hoodlums. She had been, um, she had, she had been, producing a movie with Yasser Arafat. Okay. This was no friend of, of, yes, of the I, Jews. I and, and she starred in this film about uh, anti, an anti-fascist uh, uh, woman who was helping Lillian Hellman. Uh, or Lillian Hellman was helping her. I, I don't want to get it backwards. Played by Jane Fonda, I think one of them was. And um, and she and, and so here's this Holocaust movie made by Fred Zinnemann, and she won the Oscar Best Actress in this Holocaust pre-Holocaust pre yes movie, pre-Holocaust movie, and and she gets up and she says she, that she won't be intimidated by Zionist hoodlums, and she's booed, uh, and then Patty Chayefsky, the great playwright, who who his famous line uh, he wrote in Network yes in Network. Uh, Yes. But but he wrote a lot of great things, but I, I, I'm not going to take it anyway. That that was his, uh, right. directed by Sidney Lumet. So this is a guy with yichas. I mean, there is no, you can't have more yichas than Patty Chayefsky. And he um, and he said, I, 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 to Miss Redgrave, I would just like to say that it is okay to just accept your ward and sit down. This is not the most important moment of anybody's life. And you don't have to make a statement like this. Oh, that uh, I and didn't... He, he was so regal about it. And you can see this on YouTube too. It's, it, 
it's a great moment. It's a teaching moment. It totally is a teaching moment about how to stand up to bullies. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, that's one of the things that Evelyn and I talk about, although we, we try and say speak up instead of stand up because of um, the, uh, I don't know how to say this politically correctly. Anyway, I, we've been told that we should say speak up instead of stand up. You have to, you, you have to, uh, this is a little bit outside my lane, but I'll tell you, you have to be prepared. Yes. If you think you're going to be yes. in a situation where there's, where there's going to be something, you have, you, you need to run the routines in your head. You need to know what you're going to do. I, I, there, there's, uh, it happened to me once that I was on a subway in Paris and uh, I was wearing a yarmulke with my family uh, and I was attacked. Somebody uh, uh, hit me. What year? Uh, and, uh, I don't know, but I wrote about it. And you can, if you go to, if you go to brownsteens.net, which is where I kept my blogs when I made all the art, it was probably 2007, 2006. Uh, and I wrote this whole, I, I, I recounted the entire story. Uh, but I was thinking the entire time when I knew he was going to do this, like he's yelling about George Bush the whole time. And he's yelling about you dirty Americans and you dirty Jews and you dirty this and you dirty that. And he starts to yell at me. And then he's talking about Ariel Sharon and, and it's, you know, getting closer. And I have two little kids on either side of me. And, and I'm thinking in my head, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I'm rehearsing it. And you can read the blog. If I know. Exactly. What happened? Some of the times we do, some of the podcasts, we talk about what you could say. So as not to yell, but to be calmly answer how to explain to someone that. I did. There was nothing calm about what I did. Oh, okay. there was, And there was nothing calm about what my mother in law did. Oh. Okay. Uh, it is a great story. My French mother in law. It was, it is, it is, she was. She had so much courage. I mean, it was it was such a great moment. So if you if you want to, the the story was published on H.com. It, it was around it. Well, if you can give us a direct, if you will give me the direct link, then I will put it on not now, but afterwards. I will put it on the YouTube page when yeah. this podcast goes live. Yeah. I think that would be good. Sure. Okay. So, in fact, uh, there are there any examples of films you can speak up, think of that where people speak up, not even against anti-Semitism, just really good. Well, <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't mean that it's a film I would recommend. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but but there was this uh, incredibly bad, really annoying, horribly bad uh, uh, film made by uh, a, a division of Disney. Uh, the film was called Swing Kids. And uh, okay, it takes place in the 1930s in Berlin, right? Right. And these kids think that they're going to fight fascism with swing dancing, with American swing dancing. And they're, <laughs> and the, the, the battle cry for them is they go, swing Heil. <laughs> that's like, that's, that's their, their big moment of, 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 of sedition is, is yelling that out. Uh, so, uh, but they do fight back. I mean, the whole thing is about fighting back. And another one, which is a little bit less uh, obnoxious, is uh, there's one called School Ties, uh, where a um, uh, Brandon Fraser stars in that uh, about a, a boy who, who goes off to boarding school who's Jewish and they don't know he's Jewish. 
uh, and he hides it. Uh, and uh, uh, not for the whole movie, he doesn't hide it the whole time, but, uh, and you'd recognize the actors. And of course, obviously, um, uh, uh, Gentleman's Agreement. Uh, yes. Uh, but uh, Gentleman's Agreement is actually, if you go back and you watch that, and this is a really good example. Of, we need to tell people it's a classic film. It must be. Yeah, yeah. It made in, in, in the 1940s to combat right. anti-Semitism. Gregory right. Peck. Uh, famous, famous film. And the idea of it was um, certainly, I mean, they, they, they had, there was, they were trying to do the right thing. But the idea was, if if you're, as long as you're, you you don't um, present too much as a Jew, like being Jewish is okay. Being an outlandishly, obviously Jewishly Jewish Jew, is a bit of a problem. So, uh, but but any anti-Semitism is bad. But it it's just the the way that we read it now. If you watch the if you watch the film and you think about what they're actually saying, it's it's not. It's not just against anti-Semitism. It's also against um, the flamboyancy of a New York Jew. Uh, Interesting. And uh, it, it's not as clean as we think it is. But it, it was good, well-intentioned. I mean, for, for the 1940s, this is a fabulously right. uh, uh, enlightened moment. This was right. I mean, far light years ahead of, of anything that was there. But within our 2020 vision of what that film really said, it, it's not the cleanest message today. When my husband and I were in Munich, we went, the uh, Munich City Museum had a Hollywood film festival and we went to see the original To Be or Not To Be, not the Mel Brooks one, but the original one. Ernest Lubitsch. And- uh, was, uh, Carol Lombard and, and, and Jack Benny. Yeah, Jack Benny was, and me, <clears throat> the other two Americans are laughing, the Germans in the theater. They had to speak English. There were no subtitles to the best of my memory. Uh, but I mean, you had to understand where it was coming from, but it was, I we thought at the time, living in Germany and being in our early twenties, that it was a really strong film to be shown in Munich at that time. I mean, it was 1970 when it was shown, 1971. Oh yeah, it was courageous. It's it was certainly courageous. It was courageous, courageous when Mel Brooks remade it, uh, and for that matter, when you're talking, I mean, to be or not to be was I think 1942. Uh, I didn't realize during the war. Yeah, and uh, and 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 then the Great Dictator was was the year before, uh, which. Uh, again has problems so the the I, the ending of this film this was charlie chaplin's first talking film uh he played the, a jew in it uh, and he played hitler in it uh and um uh very well intentioned most pe many people thought he was a jew because he made the film uh you know that uh, but uh he, he again from it an artistic standpoint, it has problems. From the intention standpoint, it was uh, it, it was groundbreaking, earth shattering, beyond any any imagination of courage. Just the most courageous thing. 
because the two most famous people in the entire world on the planet were Adolf Hitler and Charlie Chaplin. And Chaplin took him on and, uh, and took him on and beat the crap out of him in this film. I didn't realize at the time, Charlie, how important Charlie Chaplin was in the world at the time that he made the movie. Charlie Chaplin, uh, well, you can see the, watch the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, film. Uh, Chaplin, to, but Charlie Chaplin wasn't just, uh, he wasn't just this little actor. He was a producer. He was the founder of, of, of one of the great studios. Uh, he was just phenomenally huge. Just, you, I can't, He was like Spielberg, except that he was in the films. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay. He, he was that large. He, he, he was that, he, he was, yeah. Okay. He was just phenomenally huge. We can certainly, okay, we can get that comparison. So now it's time for last thoughts. I want you to hold up your book and I want you to tell us a little about your book. Okay. Uh, this is my book. Holocaust Cinema Complete, uh, a history of an analysis of 400 films with a teaching guide. Uh, it is available from my publisher, McFarland Press, uh, and it's available from a million other places. Amazon, it has been sold out. They keep sending them to Amazon and they keep selling out. Uh, you might have more luck with my publisher. If you go to my website, uh, which is not hard, it's holocaustfilms.com. Uh, if you go to holocaustfilms.com, then there are links to all kinds of booksellers that, that have it. There are also um, links to my other interviews and also articles that I've written, uh, including uh, what JTA says is the third most watched read article of the year, which is uh, the, the, my interview with the maker of the greatest Holocaust film ever made. Uh, the gray zone, uh, my opinion. Yes, uh, I'm laughing yeah. because I wrote a blog post subsequently in Times of Israel taking issue with Rich, but he still talks to me, so that's okay. It was a, it was so respectful. Everybody should <laughs> be respectful. It was you 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 were so sweet about it, and and of course, I mean I, I'm I believe in I, I certainly uh, I'm happy to I was happy to read what you wrote. Uh, it, it, it wasn't personal. It was, no, it was. Uh, I learned so much when, when people disagree with me. And, and, and I have changed my opinion uh, about things just from, of course, you have to have intellectual integrity when you're, when you're involved in, in scholarship. So um, the, the book, uh, it, 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 it's divided, it, it's nine chapters. Uh, and, and I went through it uh, a, a little bit with you, but um, the first chapter is about what is a Holocaust film? How do I create the list? Um, what is not a Holocaust film? The second one is the stats and eras. So how many films were made during these periods? What are the eras that I consider to be eras of Holocaust filmmaking? And then the third chapter is about surprising trends. So the, the, the idea of, of fiction versus nonfiction, the trends in those in, in filmmaking. Uh, non-American Holocaust film production. So I go by country by country and talk about 
um, whose films are good and whose are bad. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, there is one country on the planet that is has that has never made a good Holocaust film, and has made many horrible, horrible, the worst, by far the worst Holocaust films ever. Oh, uh, to tell the audience. Would you like to guess that? I, I can give you a hint. It shares a border with the United States, and it's not Mexico. <laughs> really, Canada has made a lot of films. A lot of horrible Holocaust films. I had no idea. Right. It, it's better that way. It's better you should. I really Not that I don't love Canadians. They made <laughs> one good Holocaust film, but it was directed by an Israeli. So to say correctly, there are no good Holocaust films produced by Canada, directed by Canadian directors. That is the correct statement. And do you think there's a reason? Uh, I do, uh, but it's a yeah. it's more than we can get into here. Right, right. But but I, I watch the films and see if I'm wrong. Okay. I listen, they're all listed. Uh, then there's uh, something about American guilt and uh, why America didn't bomb Auschwitz, and uh, and then uh, about God and the Holocaust and the the Holocaust exploitation. So that's just the third chapter. So it goes on. There, there, there are many chapters. In the back of the book, there's a list of every Holocaust film made, 443. Uh, a summary of every one of them. A, um, the age that, 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 that they're recommended for, the rating, the, uh, um, the director, the awards that they got. Um, it's another third of the book. Uh, and then there's another smaller appendix that has um, uh, films that are not Holocaust films that people think are Holocaust films. And then there's an index with 2,700 entries uh, that includes uh, the birth, date, and place, and death, and uh, reason of prominence for the people, why they're in there. So, uh, uh, because of the Vanessa Redgrave thing, I had to mention Yasser Arafat. So Yasser Arafat is there, and it says what his real name was, where he was born, when where he was born, where he died, and his occupation. And it says terrorist. I was going to say, did you put terrorist? That's what terrorist. I was going okay. Ava Braun is in there. It says Hausfrau. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, the only person who I mention in the book who is not in the index is Hitler. I was going to say. He didn't right. deserve. Right. But, but uh, the, so I, I received a message recently on Facebook from somebody who said, I got this great, I was reading this excellent book recently and I realized that I had been quoted in it. <laughs> and then, so he, he, he takes a picture of the book. He takes a picture of the quotation of his, my, my quoting him. He takes a picture, he, he circles the footnote, and then he goes to the index, and he circles his name in the index. <laughs> so, uh, that's, Obviously, uh, he was very pleased. Yeah, so, uh, so that's the, that's the, it, it's, it's okay. It's a, it's a, it, it was fun to, to make the index. It only took two months. <laughs> it took two months. Okay, and now we all get to, to uh, 
enjoy the fruits of your labor. So I can't thank you enough for joining us, Rich. This has really been wonderful. Thank our guests for listening. I just want to say for anyone listening who has not yet seen Evelyn in her um, documentary, remember today we were speaking about narrative non-films, uh, narrative films, but uh, Evelyn's in a documentary, Nonfiction Never Again is Now, about anti-Semitism in Europe, and then with an epilogue bringing it up to today. So I think it's really important to see. You can see it for free at joinneveragainisnow.com. And wherever you are, as long as you don't put yourself in physical danger, please speak up against anti-Semitism. <laughs>